it starts with care. You have to care about the content, the people, the experience. If you wouldn't want to go to the event, don't do the event. Make it something that you would actually spend your time at. Welcome to the Learning to Change podcast, where we explore the power of the modern learner's lens and put the focus on learning. I'm your host, Melissa Emler. In the last episode, we dug into the power of virtual events and the technology that can support them in being more than just another online meeting. Today, I continue my podcast series on events with my guest, Liz Latham. She is the co-founder of The Community Factory. Liz is known for creating event experiences that have a flair of fun and spontaneity. There is no shortage of examples in this show. My favorite is when she shares a story about a corporate event that hosted a wedding during the lunch. It is absolutely wild. According to Liz, it all starts with the question, you know what would be really fun? So you know what would be really fun right now? To get the conversation started, without further ado, here is my conversation with Liz Latham. Liz, take me away. What is it you're working on? Oh, what am I not working on? No, this year, my word of the year is focus. So it can really focus in on what I am working on. And that is trying to create more engagement and community in events. I think that you know, the the original kind of path of events took us up to the early 2020s where we were starting to see the same events happening over and over again. And then 2020 forced us to rethink everything and get super creative and then get real hesitant when we came back. And now we're back and we're redoing 2019 events again. And so my mission is to help people make it from before the pandemic through what's changed in the pandemic and re-engage people post-pandemic at their events, primarily through our spontaneous think tanks and then creating shared experiences and helping people understand that you really can make events more fun than you're making them. Yes. So you are speaking to my heart because modern learners, we have had a community since 2016, way pre-pandemic. Uh, the community was sort of driven by a cohort-based course, essentially, that mm -hmm. people loved and stuck around for and connected with and then continued to be connected. We had done a few uh, like two or three day deep, intense workshop kinds of things and things were really starting to heat up. We were getting ready to do a bigger event and we were really starting to think about how to bring people together in an in an in-person environment versus just the online, even though we were online prior to the pandemic. And then COVID happened and things changed. But in the midst of that, we noticed a lot of changes, not only sort of in how we were thinking about it, but how people were engaging with communities and events. And it yeah. led to all sorts of deep thinking on my part. So I would love to know when you started to make the connection between events and community. So one of my first jobs out of college was actually working for a, a trade association. And it's funny because a lot of trade associations proclaim that they are a community. I mean, that is a lot of the reason why they exist and bring people together, like-minded people to share challenges and problems and solutions. But then when you get down into the nuts and bolts of what those associations are doing, 
Nowhere in their bylaws does it say that they're a community. It says that they are an educational organization or an advocacy organization or providing certifications or, you know, uh, these are the things that they're doing. And so quite often the employees within them are charged with a thing to do. And there's a membership manager, but they're charged with making sure the members renew and they're charged with making sure that they bring in new members and they hit revenue targets, but they're not always charged with making sure community happens. And so I, after being a part of two industry associations and seeing how it happened, community kind of naturally forms on the side, right? But nobody's really making sure that there is a sense of belonging or inclusion. So certainly didn't recognize that while I was in it, but I can look back and see where my thoughts began in that mm -hmm. realm. And then I went into a 20 year long corporate event career at Dell, IBM, and you know other big companies where I, I was in charge of the global event teams creating these experiences that were bringing people in from field events to trade shows to proprietary conferences. But my job was to design the box. My job wasn't to care about what happens inside the box. That was the content team, none of that stuff. And so after 20 years of that, I, toward the end of my career at IBM, really started focusing on, but what are they doing when they get in the box and playing a lot more with how are they learning? How are we getting our content across? What, what are the calls to action? And are we truly driving revenue while creating relationships that are going to transcend business? And so I think that those were start, the, my starting point of realizing that um, it mattered more what happened in the box. And actually, the more you take away from an event, the more impactful it is for the people inside it. And so we started creating and crafting these experiences that were more about having a shared experience with people that were of like frequency, if you will, mm -hmm. um, and then having them share the content with each other so that you learn through peer conversation and not through PowerPoint. Yes. So I think that really, the big realization for me probably came in, I would say between 2015 and 2020. And then the shift in 2020 was, um, you know, I think before the pandemic, we were starting to hear about um, digital disconnection and we're so digitally connected, but humanly disconnected and what's happening. And oh my God, my kid's on their phone all the time. Like all that was already happening. Yes. And then we went into this year, two years of not being disconnected. We were physically disconnected, but digitally connected because we had no other choice. But it was such a kind of for a lot of us, especially in the event industry, it was so traumatic for the business that people found a way to connect and really, you know, embrace that opportunity and the creativity that was kind of coming out of the industry. And then as things started coming back toward the end of 21 and 22 and 23, we've kind of reverted into this, uh, I must work a hybrid or a re fully remote job, or I don't want to go in person because the commute and gosh, my work-life balance is so much better and I don't want to do that. And now we're kind of putting up these, these barriers again, and we're seeing the loneliness kind of come back. Mm -hmm. And so I, now I really see that need for community a lot more than I really ever did before. And it's community that transcends content, but also is content because the, the people are who we want to learn from. So that was a really long answer to a very simple question. <laughs> no, it's, but it, there's so many things that I want to dig into a little bit. Um, so one of the realizations that we had at Modern Learners was that there's a lot of interdependence between community content and events. And mm -hmm. so like I always say, if you have community and, and you have events, right, you, you 
the event sort of fosters that community, but without really strong content or a thing to gather, like content to gather around, then people don't have any focus or anything to drive those connections and take them deeper. And if you have content and events, but no community, it just becomes a point in time and then it dissipates and all of that energy that you sort of invested in building disappears. And then when you yes. when you don't have uh, events and you just have community and content, things just sort of fall flat and you become overly reliant on the content. That's right. Yeah. So we, we really work to sort of build the interdependency of community content and events. And we also really believe that learning is automatic natural and very social. And so you have to create the conditions for that social piece to come in. Some events do that really well. And some events feel even more isolating, even though you're in a room of hundreds of people, if they don't foster those connections, then you end up feeling more alone. That is 100% accurate. I think that is the biggest challenge that we're seeing as, um, as you know, we got out of the pandemic, people were really focused on those small field events. And now it's like, oh, gosh, costs have risen so much, we need to just have one big event and send everyone to that one. But I, an extrovert who very much enjoys getting my energy from other people, absolutely cannot stand going to those big mega giant events. If I don't have a kind of facilitated way, an event wingman, as we call it, to help me get into these groups and meet these people, then I am a wallflower. I will stand in the corner drinking my bottle of water and just watching everything happen around me, which provides me no value whatsoever. And so I think that we kind of just swung it so far to get as many people as we can thing that we have to go back and intentionally design for connection. Yes, that's so for real. I'm also an extrovert that realizes that I'm an extrovert and I can definitely exert myself. And I, when I'm leave that event, then I need some recovery time and all of those pieces. But again, the organizers don't want to waste my energy by having me be a wallflower because I can really be a strong connector. If you bring me into the conversation, which means most of the time, as embarrassing as this is, giving me an opportunity to talk. No, it's so true. And I think having having that opportunity to provide value and get value isn't always thought through because especially on the corporate side. So I'm coming from a B2B event marketing standpoint. I know that my executives and my sales team have a list of things that they want people to know and learn and hear about because this is why we're here. We brought everyone together to hear our roadmap, to hear our thought leadership, to hear our customers tell them how great we are and to hear problems that have been solved by other people using our products and services. Great, wonderful, amazing. But that sit and get content, that inspiration from the stage it's really old. Like you, if you're not going to let me talk to those customers and find out really what was the real problem and how can I learn from them, then I think that that opportunity to bring people together was squandered. You should just do it as a broadcast online. Let people watch it when they want. Like the people physically came together. You have to facilitate them having those conversations with each other. I always ask people to follow the decision tree of, is this a conversation that you can really just do in a live broadcast from somewhere and broadcast it out on social and lots of people can see it and they can visit that recording? I think there's a place and a time for that that's still super important and the production and the energy that you bring to that can have a significant impact. But when you're bringing people together you really want to avoid just what could have been a live stream across the internet. 
you want to avoid that being the through line of everything, right? Yeah. And it's hard for people to think about it because we're so locked into keynote, session, breakout room, expo hall. Uh, like it's sort right. of like a formula. Are you creating any new formulas? <laughs> for that so we can break out of the keynote session, breakout, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a time and place for all of those things to happen. When you have the, the large group, you, you do have to have the ability to address a large audience. You do want to set your point of view in that moment of your keynote. Um, and it's, it's okay to want to bring in some, you know, kiss the ring of your sponsors and do a panel discussion and put them up there, but make sure that that content isn't just for people agreeing with each other. Make sure that there's some, you know, diverse opinions and perspectives and that they can kind of go at it a little on stage or set it up like a presidential debate and make them go at each other, you know, have a little fun with that. But, you know, what we like to do is this facility facilitated peer conversation. And I, you know, you can do it through birds of a feather sessions, you can do it through just roundtable discussions. But the, the real thing is, if you are telling them this is the topic that we want you to talk about, they're much less likely to jump in and talk about it. And if you are telling them at lunchtime, we're going to give you table topics, talk amongst yourself, you are at, you're going to experience a very high likelihood of failure that your table will actually talk about that. Mm -hmm. So I think what we love is to ask people on site, what are the challenges that you're trying to solve and then create those conversations around them. So we call it a spontaneous think tank and we bring in the big six by eight sticky notes and we invite everybody to come together for this crowdsourcing moment where we ask them one sticky note per challenge, what challenge are you trying to solve? Mm -hmm. And stick it up on the wall. And then we end up with what I call the wall of woes, everybody's <laughs> challenges that they've got today. And then we ask them to step back take a look at the wall of woes. And if you see something up there that either you also are experiencing, go put a check mark by it, or something that you've actually solved in your business or are an expert at, go write your name on it. Mm -hmm. And then we're gonna take all of those sticky notes and we're gonna create peer-to-peer -peer sessions later in that day of the conference where we ask the people who say they've solved that problem to lead a short conversation, a just facilitated session where for 10 minutes, you share how you solved that problem. And for 20 minutes, everybody can ask questions and talk about it and share their own perspectives. And so now not only have you facilitated a networking conversation with people who have similar problems, you've allowed them to connect in a very like low barrier to entry way. So the introverts feel comfortable. They didn't get forced into a giant room. They're in a very small group. They're able to create connections. The extroverts get the opportunity to share their value. They can either become a speaker or they can speak up in one of the sessions and they feel fulfilled. And so everybody leaves with an actual actionable solution solution. Or let's say it's an unsolvable problem. Everybody leaves with a really amazing therapy session because same problem, different logo happens all the time. Yes. And so these are the ways that we're able to create the peer connection with like really low stress. And, and, you know, you don't have to do a lot of prep. You just have to have a lot of energy from the hosts, you know, and just mm -hmm. be ready to bring people together. And a few sticky notes and you're ready to rock out. <laughs> exactly. I think what can't you do with sticky notes is for real, a uh, real question that somebody should, maybe that's a problem. What can you not do with sticky notes? Because I do a lot with sticky notes and I, I kind of feel like, I don't know if it's the color that they bring in and the natural energy, but anytime somebody gives me some sticky notes in an event, I'm ready. And it's an indicator to me that there's going to be a conversation. And I 
exactly. really believe that conversations is where the learning happens, right? So you have the content to sort of anchor those conversations and you have the event to bring you together, but it's really those conversations that move people forward. And the beautiful thing with the community is that the conversations can continue. And so I'd love to yeah. know with your spontaneous think tanks, do you ever hear like follow-up from them later that people have connected because they connected through a spontaneous think tank. And tell me a story about that because I think that's fascinating. Oh yeah, we did one in Las Vegas where we had about a hundred event professionals coming together. It was one of our very own for the event community. And it was a bunch of people who'd never met each other flying in. A few people knew each other, but we ran this think tank. It was a day and a half. Um, and one day was kind of some workshops and then one full day, the entire content was crowdsourced spontaneous think tank content. And there are four women that came to that event from all parts of the US who became best friends within the 48 hours and now take trips together. Like they connected on so much. It was unbelievable that you still see them all over Facebook and Instagram traveling together. And then my other favorite one, we did one in New York where we had two people had written that they had solved a problem that someone had put on the wall. So we asked them to co-facilitate the conversation. They'd never met before. They went in, co-facilitated. Everybody had a great time. They came out and at the end of the event, they came up to us and they said, we didn't realize until halfway through the session that we are direct competitors. And because we had had such great conversations and we're helping each other, we've now found three new ways that we can partner with each other. I mean, it was exactly what we're looking for. You know, it's this low, like lower the walls and be raw. And we're here to create relationships. We're not here for sharks and minnows. Who can I sell to? Right. Well, and it sort of beats up on the uh, the scarcity mindset, right? When you have all of these people working and contributing ideas to solving one problem, there's an abundance of solutions if you allow yourself to look for them, see them, listen, and actively listen so that you can implement some of those things. But I love that they found ways to connect and work together, even in the uh, even in the situation where they were direct competitors. That's fantastic. It just speaks to the power of that connection for sure. And I think that you also, you have to build in some sort of shared experience too, because if you don't evoke this emotional connection, then you've just got a bunch of people talking, which is good enough most of the time. But if you can design your day, your event to actually have something that's going to make people go, oh my gosh, talk about like for that New York event, we did a, a wedding in the middle of this corporate event. So this speaks to partnerships. And we, we found the venue and they offered to let us use the space. And we asked, what could we give them in return? And they said, well, we really want to get into the wedding magazine. So that would be great. We're like, okay, we're a bunch of corporate planners. We don't do weddings. <laughs> but what if, because the event was the week of Valentine's Day. Wait a second. I just have to anticipate because this is a very funny story. My anticipation, my prediction is telling me that you found two people who were from some corporate that they were going to get married anyway. And so you just brought them to the event and they got married. But I can't, I gotta, I just, I had to make you stop because I have to build that anticipation because I have it really bad. Okay. So who got married? <laughs> 
So we let the venue run a contest to to have a hosted wedding. But the trick is they could bring it because it was we were looking for somebody who wanted a um, non-traditional experience where they just had a small wedding they wanted to do, maybe 10 of their family members, but they had to be willing to let our event participants be part of the wedding. And they had to let go of kind of the constraints of them being able to make decisions. So we, our winners came in brought their their 10 family members and what we did with our participants we had a a love storytelling competition before lunch which was tell us a story about a brand you've fallen in love with or an event tool you fell in love with or a true love story that happened to you in the event industry and so people would get up on stage and kind of tell their fun story and then after that we said okay the reason we led into the love story thing is because it's the week of valentine's day and our lunch is going to be a wedding reception. So what's about to happen is you're going to meet the future bride and groom who are going to come in. You're going to go into that other room and be a part of their wedding ceremony. But while they go in and get ready, we all are going to create the reception. So we wheeled out all of this silverware and plates and flowers and every single participant was had to go set the tables and put the stuff out and decorate the wedding cake and do all of this stuff. And so we had like 30 minutes for everyone to make this room look magical and amazing. They go into this wedding, which was just this like, literally people are posting on Instagram, like I'm crying at a wedding and I've never met these people before and they're just <laughs> bawling. And then they come out and there's this amazing celebration. And so like, what does this have to do with a corporate event? Nothing, nothing whatsoever, but it fulfilled what the partner needed. And it made these people create this connection and have this moment where they're like, oh my God, I went to an event and there was a wedding in the middle. How bizarre was that? But it blew up, right? And these emotions that people had and the connections, they made, people still talk about it. It's wild. Well, absolutely. I can't even imagine. And then just the staying power and the, the longevity of those social posts had to be fascinating and the, the value- right you get from that shared experience. But I have to understand, how did you get into the design part of that experience? How did you allow yourself to think outside of the box enough to have something that creative emerge? Like, what do you think happened? Well, I have the benefit of having Nicole Ashibodu in my life. So my business partner is Nicole and her brain works sideways and upside down. If you are thinking of <laughs> thinking outside the box, she is scratch and sniff. And so her ideas are crazy, amazing, awesome. And then you put the two of us together and we love to play this game called, you know, it'd be really fun. And so we just start going up and up and up. And if, uh, if money were no object, if resources were no object, if time were no object, what would we do? And then parents it back and kind of work it backwards. Like, well, okay, how can we make that happen? So we did another one of these in Minneapolis and no, 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 it was Chicago that we did this event. It was the same, same format, spontaneous think tank and some workshops. And we we're like, okay, what could we do? We didn't have enough time to take people off site and do a big experience. It was a relatively small space. So there wasn't a ton of things we could really bring in. So we had this idea of what's the core of a think tank. It's the sticky notes. What would get everyone engaged, either watching something crazy, happen or participating in something crazy happening. So we just started Googling Guinness Book of World Records sticky notes. And we found that there was a Guinness World Record for how many sticky notes you can put on your face in 60 seconds. So we went and got 
<laughs> we, we applied to, to Guinness to see if they would permit us to try to break this record, got the approval, and they told us how we need to hire timekeepers. And we had people at the event volunteer to try to do this. And it was, you know, it just happened right before the lunch break. And people, it was epic. We did not break the world record. <laughs> that was my next question. But, <laughs> Again, so, you know, it's things that getting people engaged and involved and like, what is happening? That is the fun part. People remember this stuff. Yes, that's, I think, what is so fascinating because, I, first of all, I wrote down the question, you know what would be really fun? So I, I wrote that down <laughs> because I, and I love the idea of like asking that question like five times backwards. Like you say, like in my work, I do root cause analysis and we ask why five times, but I think it would be really fun to say, yeah. you know, what would be really fun five times? That would be totally fascinating. And, um, yeah. what I love is that you're getting to the memories. You're creating core memories through these experiences right. and they may or may not. So I guess that's the question. So as you create these core memories, do these core memories tie to the organizations or the partners that you're serving? Can you speak to that a little bit? Yes, because I think that when you create this thing for your brain to rally around, you you uh, associate the learning that you got or what happened with, oh, yeah, I learned it when we were doing that thing. Or it was this guy, I met him at this place. Oh, yeah, it was the place that did that thing. And so you can tie it back to it. Because I think a lot of us, are, our memories aren't linear. Our memories mm -hmm. come in, in bursts. And so when you can tie a burst of emotion to something that you've learned, then it's going to really sink into actually what happened at that event. And it's kind of like they, um, there's all of this research around physical movement and eating well and how it really increases your ability to learn when you've done a workout in the morning or raise your heart rate for a certain rate, you know, for time in the morning, then you sustain memory and you're able to retain learnings over the course of the day. So if you're doing a sales kickoff, then you're having some sort of group activity in the morning, whether it's a, a 5k or a nature walk or a yoga class or whatever, will actually help people retain information later. I think it's the same thing. You're getting that heart rate up. You're doing something that makes people just have this moment so that their retention is going to be higher later. And then how do you survive events that you don't design? And what I mean by that is I'm also a designer. I'm probably not as much of a risk taker or um, I don't follow back the what would, wouldn't it be fun if quite as significant, but I am very, I'm a very intentional experienced designer and I have a hard time attending some event. So can yeah, you talk me to me about uh, like how your expectations have changed or how do you level set your expectations and maybe even where do you go for inspiration or where do you go to learn from in regards to events? Yeah, it's really, really hard for me to participate in some events, especially when they're keynote breakout expo style. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of events just try to sit you in a, a windowless ballroom for way too long. And it's even worse when they give you those new sanctuary seating. And then I'm just like asleep in a dark room for an hour. Uh, <laughs> so I, I do look for events that are, that are going to have an interactive component. So they're very, very rarely, but on occasion, you can find events where they keep keynote speaker is going to do a workshop afterwards. So you can get that inspiration and then you can get some hands on. Or if they say that the content is 
interactive and is going to do something. God knows what interactive means to some people, but yes. I get hopeful. You know, unfortunately, I don't often get to choose those events that I go to. I'm, I'm there for a specific purpose. And so I try to sit in the back and leave the room when I can. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if there's, if there's a session that I want to listen to, great. But if you're coming in with a speaker that I could hear on YouTube, I'm probably not going to go to that session. Um, if, if it's, you know, just a whole bunch of breakout sessions, I'm going to pick one or two that I can really handle and then leave. Cause I don't want to be that person that's sitting in the room on my phone. I feel like that's even ruder than not being in the room at all. That's an amazing point to make. And so I, I also want to know, so tell me how you help people do what you do, because right now I have several events that are on my mind that I'm thinking, Maybe I should involve a wedding. No, I'm being exa I'm exaggerating a little <laughs> bit, but maybe not. But how? Who works with you, and how do they work with you, and what is the process for working with you? Because I feel like there's a lot of event professionals that just need a little oomph. And in a post-pandemic yeah. world, there's it feels risky. It feels risky in yeah. terms of will people come, and how do I market it? in order to to get people to come so that they can experience the experience. And so, and I, th I think there's still a little bit of fear as people are coming and working through that fear and realizing that in-person events are back and also thinking through like, how can you create some things online? But how do people get in touch with you and like work with you and what's the process? So LinkedIn is really where I live. You can find me Liz Lathan on LinkedIn and it's Lathan with an N as in November. And um, so like I live and breathe that I'm on there all the time, but also Liz at the communityfactory.com. So what we can offer, what we do, what we love to do are a strategy session that's basically called, you know, it would be really fun. So if you just need design ideas and you want to kind of push through virtually or in person, bringing people together to really push those boundaries of what can we do with the event that's going to take people a little bit further, because quite often people come to us with, look, here's the stuff I have to do at my event. But where can I interject these moments? Because, you know, the, the conference agendas are all the same. You have your pre-event workshop, you have your morning keynote, you have your coffee break for 10 or 15 minutes, or maybe they've expanded it to 30 minutes because last year's survey said that they needed more networking time. Mm -hmm. You have your breakout sessions, you have your expo, I mean, it's the same thing. And so working to design where we can put things in and how can we adjust that content. So anyway, then, you know, it would be really fun design session. There's that. Then there's the, Love look, I know I need to bring peer conversation into my event and I don't know where we can put it in. So having a conversation around bringing in a spontaneous think tank is another option. And when it comes to a big conference, there's several ways to do it. But most often, we, if it's a big conference, we'll kind of carve out three hours of the conference for 100, 150 people at the conference to be a part of a spontaneous think tank. So let's say you've got your your main keynote and panel discussion, and then when it's time to go to breakouts, people can choose to go to the pre-planned training breakout content, mm -hmm. or they can choose to take three hours and go into a spontaneous think tank where it's crowdsourced and we're gonna have peer-to-peer -peer sessions. So, and then we've done it where um, we just got back from a roadshow in Amsterdam for a client where they had their main keynote and they had their customer come speak. And then we got up on stage and had 
all 1500 people crowdsource their challenges, but we divided up the room with kind of rolling whiteboards and four key areas of conversation. So if, for example, you're interested in AI, you're going to put all your challenges on AI back there if you're interested in whatever. So, and that way we got everybody's walls of woe. And then what the company did was take a look at those and assign their subject matter experts to facilitate the conversation aligned with each topic. And so again, the rest of the participants could choose to go to training sessions or or could choose to come to the peer to peer, but the f the subject matter experts actually facilitated it peer to peer. So that oh, was a beautiful way to that's integrate. So interesting. So it's funny. I'm sort of an anomaly, and I am very planned and detailed, and I know exactly whatever. But I also believe in letting go and letting God, as I always say, let go, let God. It'll it'll all be all fine. But when you tell me that you sort of crowdsource the ideas and then the company sort of then looked at what happened what emerged and then assigned their people i can only imagine the agony that their people some of their people were experiencing because they couldn't like a hundred percent prepare ahead of time but they could predict what would emerge but how do people handle that spontaneity when they're sort of put on the spot I mean, for the most part, if you're a true subject matter expert, then you can kind of talk about a pretty wide span within your realm. And so it, it tends to be either, you know, the, the product marketers or the engineers that are already speaking at conferences and they've done these things. And so, you know, the company knows who they can tap into. Maybe they've got community managers that can do a more high level type of facilitation. So it doesn't, you know, obviously, the people that bring us in at least have some sort of confidence that they can do that. Yeah. The ones that are really risk taking are the ones that allow us to do a true peer to peer because the number one objection is what if the group says bad things about us? And so, oh. you know, the executives are terrified that a group of people are going to get together and have a bitch session. But the amazing thing about it is that it very, very, very rarely happens. And when they do, the bitch session isn't anger. It's people actually offering really meaningful, valuable opportunities for the company to hear and make changes. And so to yes. allow that to happen in a controlled environment where we're there, we don't just let the whole thing go crazy. You know, we can interject, we can facilitate when we feel it going a certain direction where, you know, we're taking those notes and like explain that a little bit more to me and tell me if this happened, would this change the way you view it, you know, and, and bringing that back into a really productive conversation. And so it it definitely does take some chutzpah to be willing to do it. But I we have never once had one where the people left going, oh, God, I wish we hadn't done that. Every single time they, they tell us, I wish we had more time. We need to do this more. You know, so it's, yes. it, it's all it always turns out people just want to talk to each other. That's absolutely true. So I'll close it out with just one last question. Um, what has been the biggest change that you've experienced in a post-pandemic era? And then what have you learned to sort of minimize or change the outcome from that change? And when you're asking what's been the biggest change, do you mean in how participants are experiencing things or how design is happening? Give me a little more guidance. Yeah, I would say like in the industry and in events, mm -hmm. What's been the biggest change from probably an event designer's perspective? And maybe that has to do with like, you know, attendee behavior. But I mean, obviously things have changed for attendees. And so that changes their behavior or whatnot. But as an event designer, what's been the biggest change? And maybe it's not even a change in a post-pandemic era, but what's the biggest opportunity 
Okay. Well, I think that what I'm seeing right now, back in the 2010s, we saw what I like to call the festivalization of corporate events, you know, where we started adding music festivals and things along with our B2B conferences to make it more highly entertaining. Right. I love how you have a name for it. And I, yes, very true. Mm -hmm. I've experienced that. That was probably in a time before I was connected to events and recognized that that was happening, but then I definitely didn't have a name for it. Yeah, well, and I see what we're what we're seeing now, which happened really you know, like beautiful showcase at Money 2020 at HubSpot Inbound and recently at CES is the consumerization of events where they're taking those festival activations and putting them in the expo floor and the hallways and everything. The problem with this is that it's really super fun for the attendees. Everybody's getting their Instagram moments and all of the stuff that they want. But people are being less strategic about tying it to their content. So now you're going to a friggin' carnival and you're winning stuffed animals, but you're not able to remember the brand that brought it to you because it didn't make sense and it didn't tie it to the content. And again, the people just want to talk to the people. So as the consumerization goes too far, I think that, you know, that's the change I've seen for the, for the better in that they've remembered to add fun for the worse in that people aren't learning from it and it's not creating relationships, it's creating transactions. And so I think that the next step is to kind of take those things and have people think more strategically through how they can do it. So I'll give you an example real quick was um, I was talking to a CMO the other day about some field programs that they were doing. And she shared that um, they're small events, 30 people, and they're going to, I was like, oh, and she, they're a super like forward thinking tech company. So I got really excited. I'm like, ooh, what are the field events you're going to do? She's like, oh, it's great. We're going to do this panel discussion and then have a peer networking session. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, okay, you know, it would be really fun. What if you held the event at an aquarium and you were going to take a deep dive on your content? And as soon as people get there, they get to choose if they want to hang out with the sea lions, the otters, the penguins, or the stingrays. And then you put them in little groups and they go off for a 30 minute encounter with these things, with these people. And oh my gosh, that's just mind blowing. 30 minutes of that, right? So then they come back and now you have an hour and a half with them. So now you put them and let them grab some food, grab some, grab a drink, and then put them in a panel, but it's not a panel. It's a fishbowl. You know that format. Mm -hmm. You get people together, but now people are able to get in, but get it. Fishbowl ties to the aquarium, the whole deep dive thing. And so now the format makes sense and the people are able to have the opportunity to hop in and listen and it doesn't feel panel discussion-y. Now, not only did you create a shared experience, but you also created this networking opportunity and you created the ability for you to still get your content across to them in that fishbowl session. So same two hours, very different experience. Yes, I love that. And it all started with the question I wrote down earlier is, you know, it would be really fun or wouldn't it be fun if? Exactly. And so, and actually, I love how you can work yourself into the conversation in a non-confrontational way because of the way in which you ask that question. It feels inviting. Yeah and open. Right. And it's okay if you shoot it down. It's There's no bad ideas when you're saying what would be fun. They could be like, oh, well, that wouldn't work. You know, fine. And there's you don't there's no harm in that. You don't feel rejected when they say, well, we couldn't do that. You just feel like, oh, well, that sucks for you. You know? Awesome. <laughs> I love that. So, and I think that allows for the consumerization of events to pull back into yes. the content connection, you know? So that's kind of where I was going with that one is there's a, the consumer moment of I got to play with sea lions back into content 
that memory, that retention, and really the the learning and the conversion is what yeah. you really want. Well, and I just think that that memory is hugely connected to learning and th making that connection. And that it's that memory piece that is connected to the why. Because the memory, you don't want them to remember the consumerization or the the things. You want them to remember right. the experience and the connection it had to the to the larger message because the larger message is what you want them to learn and take away. And so you have to make sure that exactly. that's always part of the goal. We always start with the goal. What is your goal? I say that in so many coaching sessions. What's the goal? And what is it you want to do? What is yeah. the goal? And if you lose sight of that and replace it with the consumerism, the people will have fun, but they it'll end up being disconnected and of less value. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll leave you with my five C's to community. So I think that this is kind of how we think about events when we design them. And it starts with care. You have to care about the content, the people, the experience. If you wouldn't want to go to the event, don't do the event. Make it something that you would actually spend your time at. The next one is collaboration allow people to come together and collaborate over something which ties right into co-creation allow those sticky notes let them collaborate and co-create something together especially when they know that it's creating the content for later and that drives you right into conversation if mm -hmm. you're not allowing people to have really good conversations at your event i'm sorry a 10-minute coffee break is not a networking break it's just not going to work and all of those things drive you to connection and if you can kind of walk them through those other pieces of it now they're going to have those connections that transcend business. And that's what creates community. Yes, all of those are so fascinating and so much to take in. So my educator friends, we always talk about the C's, right? Collaboration, communication, connection, etc. But you, you have very similar C's in the event and community space. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason the C's matter is because they all lead us back to learning and, and wanting to learn more. So it's very exciting. Right. My, my mantra in life personally is I'm not asking you to change. I'm asking you to learn. And I love providing people experiences where that can be realized. Beautiful. So with that, thanks so much for being with us today, Liz. I really appreciate everything you do. And stay doing that LinkedIn stuff because it is the most motivating post of my day. So thank you so much. <laughs> and as I always say, have a good day. Don't get in trouble. Thank you for joining me today on the Learning to Change podcast. I hope you found our discussion insightful and inspiring. As we continue to explore the power of learning and its impact on change, remember that it's not about pushing yourself or others to change, but about embracing the process of learning. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. If you're ready to take your learning journey to the next level or bring about a culture of learning in your organization, join us in our free Modern Learners community. We are here to help you navigate the challenges and celebrate the successes that come with embracing learning and change. Simply go to modernlearners.community and join us today. You'll find all the resources from today's show in there. Until next time, Stay curious and remember, I'm not asking you to change, I'm asking you to learn.
Learning to Change is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blaser. Marty Seafelt edits our episodes. Our production assistant is Emily Kilduff. And Sean McMullen is our executive producer. Learning to Change is recorded on the stolen land of the Sauk and Fox tribes, the Miami Nation, the Osati, Shakawi, Sioux, Ho-Chunk, and Kickapoo peoples. 